welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As Kelly just said, I'm your host, Troy. Glad to be back. And I want to get some quick announcements before we get into our guest. Uh, The first announcement is our Facebook group has hit over a thousand members. So uh, really excited about that. Very cool to see that uh, hit that benchmark. More and more people are joining each day and we're getting some good discussion. A lot of good sharing of pictures, you guys. uh, The fairway season is obviously upon us or has been upon us for the last several months, and a lot of good pictures of, uh, of your piglets. So keep them rolling. Uh, another announcement, I want to, um, I don't do this very often. In fact, I don't think I've done it yet, gone down the list, but I really want to give a shout out to all of our Patreon supporters who have been supporting us for, for a while. And I want to list these people in the order of how long they've been supporting us. And we're just going to go down this list real quick. And a shout out and a special thanks to everyone. So first and foremost, Noah West, Chet Peters, Fritz Seabolt, Nathan Sutterfield, Jed Bicker, Chuck Lewis, Tina Viallard, John, I'm going to screw this up, John Quartusio, Davis Beam, Jesse Wixon, Rob Dowdle, Bill Speed, Adam Garner, Bonnie Hewitt, Chris White, Jason Stevens, Laura Tom, Eric Craig, Michael Burns, John Mosher, Jordan Salyards, Mark Purcell, John Andrews, Desiree Brown, Laura Wood, the Getz Family Farm, Patricia Jones, or I'm sorry, Patrick Jones, sorry about that, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Jones, Emily Brooks, Paul B., and Sharon Simpson. So each one of you, I really appreciate uh, you all uh, supporting the podcast, supporting what we're trying to do here. It really helps uh, justify all the work put into this and the supplies and and, uh, resources that's used to keep this rolling. So thank you all so much for supporting that. So along the same lines of Patreon, uh, about every other month, we've been getting the habit of doing a live chat, and it's an open invitation to any of our Patreon supporters. You can get the link in Patreon. And what we do is, is just have a good conversation via Zoom. And we've talked about feed, we've talked about vaccines, we've talked about quite a few things already. And those chats, if you can't make it to that live chat, those chats are recorded and are available uh, on Patreon. So we're going to have another one coming up, and that's going to be Thursday, May the 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern. We try to do late in the evening on Eastern time, so uh, so our West Coast people can be a part of that and not be right in the middle of their day. So be sure uh, if you're if you're listening, you're a Patreon supporter. Uh, be sure to check that out. Mark your calendar. If you're not a Patreon supporter and you'd like to experience that, uh, just little as five dollars a month, and you can access those uh, chats, be a part of a live chat coming up, or access some of the recorded chats. Plus, have access to all the additional information out there as well. Also, don't forget the farm directory on the Pastured Pig website. Uh, people have been entering those. We've been getting good entries. Kind of kind of slacked off a little bit. But if you'd like to have your farm listed 
And you may wonder, what is the reason for that? Well, it's, it's something we're building on. We want to get to where we have a directory of farms across the country that offer either uh, pigs, uh, piglets for sale, you know, genetics, that type of thing, uh, feeders, growers, uh, even pork products. And it's not just, uh, you don't have to just list your pork products only on, on your farm directory. You can list the other services you offer. So um, what I'd like for this to be is a repository of information, just like Local Harvest and some of those other larger sites, where people can search in their area to say, I want to find reputable pasture-raised pork uh, for consumption, or I'm looking for certain genetics to put pigs on my own property. So uh, that's what we're trying to do there. And I know um, as many members as we have and as many people download the podcast, uh, I know we've got quite a ways to go on that to get a good saturation of the people that have farms that are um, that are listening and can can list them there. So be sure to check that out. It's totally free, and that's not going to change. I, I'm not going to change that from being free. You can have your your basic information out there, um, your your logo, a picture of your farm, description, availabilities, contact information, social media links. You can have all that for free. That's not going to change. Okay, so let's get on to our guest. Today, we are sitting down with Legacy Family Farm, and that's in Ohio, just across the river from us. Uh, we're going to talk with Caitlin Scott. Now, Caitlin, um, she is she is developing a niche, and, it's, and that's what I wanted to underscore, because when I say Cooney Cooney, I know some of you people are going to roll your eyes. Um, and some people don't. It's 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 funny how uh, polarizing Cooney Cooney and AGH and and Mangalitsa and all those uh, those type of breeds are the lard the lard breeds. But um, I want you guys to listen to this. I, I've Caitlin has a vision. She has a goal and she has a niche that she wants to explore with the Cooney Cooney. So um, I appreciate her doing her homework on the front end. And uh, so. Uh, Listen to what she has to say about this and, and how she's going to uh, develop a business with Cooney Cooney as she explores that niche. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. All right. So um, uh, I've got to ask, I don't know where you are directly relocated in Ohio, but hopefully you're not anywhere near uh, East Palestine, are you? Well, we're about an hour and 50 minutes away. So yeah, we're, oh. we're down the river. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it was a little, that was pretty scary for us. Um, you know, we're not super close, but there's definitely some concern there. Yeah, yeah. Does not your... really for the people that are in East Palestine. Yeah. Do you, do you all draw your, you don't draw your water from the Ohio, I assume, do you? No, we don't. We actually have um, a spring. Oh. So we have a spring-fed well on the property, and that's actually how we get all of our water. We pump that out weekly. Yeah. Um, so I think we're safe there, but um, we we do want to do some further testing on all of our wells and yeah, yeah, hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a very unfortunate uh, situation there. That's one of those things that you just you just have absolutely no control over whatsoever. You go through all this effort to to build a farm, to build a homestead, to you know take care of things to be more natural on, on what you consume and what you put in your body. And then something industrial, you know, happens like this and it's just like, yeah, goodness. But Absolutely. Something I would have never thought about, you know, we hear trains go by all the time. Um, 
we're, we're pretty close to the river, the Ohio river. Mm. And, um, now, you know, I never thought about it before, but now every time I hear a train go by, I kind of pause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They haven't, ha- haven't been having very good luck with those here recently. It seems like so. No. Well, all right. Well, we'll, we'll not talk about depressing stuff any, any longer. Right. But so, so let's segue <laughs> over to legacy family farm. Give me an overview of your farm, kind of the lay, lay of the land, a little bit of um, what it's like in Monroe, Monroe County, Ohio there, and uh, you just kind of kind of what your what assets your farm has. Okay. So, yeah, we're in Powhatan Point, Ohio. We um, are on a ridge here right on the border of West Virginia, and we're about um, 45 minutes from the border of PA as well. So we're right in the, um, in the Ohio Valley where the, you know, they call it Tridelphia, where all the states kind of border. Um, and we have uh, 84 acres here. Um, most of it is wooded. We um, And we have about 10 acres of pasture. Um, we have a, an old hand-hewn barn that was on the property. Um, it's about 180 years old. It's beautiful. And um, that's where we farm most of our pigs um and we have the rest out on pasture that we um rotationally graze them through when when pasture is available we have the pigs um in a couple sacrifice pastures right now they're pretty muddy out there but we had a really really wet um winter so i'm sure you can relate (laughs) being in west virginia i'm looking at the field of mud out my window right now actually (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the lay of the land. Yeah. So, um, you, you'd mentioned in your pre-screening that you guys are first generation farming. So first of all, why Monroe County? Um, and, and then why this specific tract of land and, and why farming? Uh, you, you all are, um, um, younger than me. So I'm, I'm curious as to what gets the, the next generation into farming. What, what led you in that direction? Right. So, um, my husband actually, he grew up um, part of the time on his grandparents' Christmas tree farm in Houston, Texas. And um, when we met, he came to Ohio for work. And um, I'm actually from Pittsburgh, PA. Um, and we met and got married. And I moved up here to Ohio. And um, we were renting in the area. Um, he, he, His work kind of took him here and we felt like we were going to be here for a while. So we started um, just occasionally looking around for property. We weren't too serious about it, but um, we'd kind of look here and there. And one day he um, was talking to a coworker who had stumbled upon our property and he, he found it through an auction and actually bid on it and won it. Hmm. Um, But because of a survey issue, um, he wasn't, he wasn't able to go through on the sale. Um, and it was really everything that we were looking for. So, um, my husband scooped it right up <laughs> pretty much. We had closed on the property within 30 days of finding it. So wow. we felt that it was perfect for us. It's, it's a beautiful property. It's really unique in the way that, um, it's very secluded. We live, um, about a, mile down um a rock road and we're the only ones back here oh yeah um so we really love that about it oh that's nice definitely definitely so i gotta say yeah you, 
Yins don't sound like you're from Pittsburgh, first of all. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from Pittsburgh, and um, he's from Houston, Texas, and we've lived in Ohio for six years now, and he still tells people he's from Texas. I'm like, you're officially an Ohioan. That's right. Exactly. Um, but he'll, he'll always, he'll always um, be a Texan at heart. Yeah. He is north of the Mason-Dixon line. He is not in the South yeah. anymore. So, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, good. So, so why... So why why farming? So uh, obviously he he had the Christmas tree farm experience, uh, but from what I understand, you're stay at home mom with the with the three boys. Which my goodness, that's the full time job as it is. But yeah. why why take on why take on the farming stuff? What led you in that direction? Well, you know, I've always been um, attracted to this kind of lifestyle, and um, I think a big one for me was being able to raise my kids. And- in a natural setting and um also we're really aware of the food that we consume and um I've always been you know pretty big on non-gmo organic and trying to um, live a healthy lifestyle in terms of that and um I guess just the next step for us was raising our own food and um 2020 came around and um with all the shortages and craziness I just really was like you know we we have the land we have the property my friend um would come over and she had chickens and she's like I can't believe that you don't even have chickens yet (laughs) (laughs) and um raising young kids it's a lot and um once my youngest who's about to be five this month um once he became a little bit more independent and um was in school more often I'm like well I need a hobby and um, I kind of dove right in. So we started out with getting some chickens. And um, not long after that, we got some pigs. And um, I absolutely love them. So, well, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it was, you know, it was a lot of factors. But um, really wanting to know where our food comes from is a big one. Yeah, very good. Very good. Absolutely. And uh, so so let's segue over into the pigs then. So with, uh, oh, actually, first, there was another question I want to ask you. So did the, yeah. did the property have a house on it? Did you all have to build? It was an old farmhouse? What what was your accommodations there? Right. So we, um, there's a new house that was here and then also an old farmhouse. Hmm. Um, so the farmhouse is pretty close to our house. It's vacant at the moment, but um, we let friends and family stay in there and, um, and yeah, we have we have the new house that was already built, so oh, good, good. it was a pretty great setup. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, have the uh, the old history, uh, but then also have the the newest amenities with the new building. That that's a that's a win win situation there. Yeah. So so tell me about tell me about pigs. I, I know you said you had chickens, but since this is the pastured pig podcast, we'll focus more on the pigs. <clears throat> So where did you start with pigs? What was, first of all, why, why pigs? You go from chickens. Some people normally go to goats or sheep or cattle. <laughs> right. why, why did you go to pigs? Um, well, I don't know. I guess I was just really drawn to them. Um, I also, we also do want to get cows one day, but um, my husband works out of town a lot. And with me not ever being around um, large livestock, mm-hmm. I just felt like pigs were just the, the natural option. Um, and I've just always been kind of drawn to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. 
that definitely makes sense. And I would think, uh, um, and I'm sure you've, you're aware of this now, but with, um, with the topography uh, that you have, then uh, that, that woodlot having majority of your acreage in woodlot and, and being on a slope and those type of things, pigs can, uh, can tend to handle that better when you don't have as much open, pristine pasture. You can really take right. advantage of, of your topography of your farm. Yep. Yeah. And, um, keeping our, keeping our pastures, um, you know, preserved as much as possible was one of the reasons why I also chose to get, um, the Cooney Cooney breed. You know, we, we still do want to get cows in with having that limited pasture space. We wanted to, um, wanted to get a grazing pig that wasn't going to totally, um, tear up the pasture space that we do have. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. Tell me about the, the foray into Cooney Cooney. What, what was it? Was it buy 20 all at once? Was it bring home two? So what was your first, you know, yeah. your toe in the water? So, um, some people are probably going to laugh at this when they hear this, but um, I, I was actually on Craigslist one day and I found um, someone pretty close by that was giving away two pigs. Um, out, I'm sorry, it was actually three pigs and they were um, a Cooney Cooney cross and um you know, I felt like, well, this is a great way to kind of, you know, figure out if this is something that we really want to do. You know, they're free. Why don't we go check them out and see what we think? So um, that's just what we did. We um, we went over and we picked up the three pigs. Um, it was a mom and um, her her two babies, but they weren't babies anymore. They were eight months old at the time. And um, we ended up um, butchering two of them and then selling another and, um, decided to go into, um, registered Cooney Cooney pigs. Okay. Did you do that butchering on farm? Did you send that out? No, we sent them out. Um, it's something that we want to get into, um, butchering on farm, but we're not quite set up for it yet, but, um, it's something that we're definitely interested in doing in the future. Okay. So why the decision with, with the three Cooney Coonies that you had that you got for free, which is, which is great because you always kind of <laughs> scratch your head and say free pigs. What's, you know, what's the catch here? Right. But it uh, sounds right. like those turned out well, but uh, why did you look at that breed and say, okay, well, this cross is good, but our next round we want to do registered. What was the uh, catalyst for that? Well, um, uh, the temperament, and the crosses wasn't exactly what I was looking for. You know, I was, had done a lot of research on the Cooney Cooney breed and, um, the cross wasn't exactly the temperament that I was looking for. Um, and they were also pretty big brooders. They did have some American Guinea hog in them and, um, they really were tearing up the pasture. So we thought, you know, let's, let's try to go the registered route, the pure, you know, the purebred route and see, you know, what the difference is. And, and it was a it was a huge difference. I mean, the, the Cooney Coonies are extremely laid back. Um, we do still deal with a little bit of rooting, but, um, with their short noses, you know, it's nothing compared to what the, um, you know, the American Guinea hog part in them was doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're a lot more just, just docile, not, just easier to handle. Um, and um, yeah, just an interesting breed. I was just really drawn to the Cooney Coonies for the, for one of the facts that, you know, I am mostly the one handling them every day. You know, my husband not being around as much with, um, with work. Um, I 
that was a big thing for me. I want to be able to handle them. I want to be able to, um, you know, give them shots and things when I'm able and handle the babies with the moms, you know, being right there and as well as the kids being able to um, handle them. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. So w- when you switched to the register, did you did you start with a breeding pair? Did you start with a pregnant uh, gilt or pregnant sow? What, what was your uh, first start there? Well, actually, when we got the three pigs, um, one of them turned out to be pregnant. And uh, that was a big surprise for us because we only had them for about three months. <laughs> and um, it was the middle of February and I was down with the flu. And one day I went out um, to their hut in the pasture and found eight little piglets. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it was such it was a really an amazing experience. She actually yeah, she um, she raised all seven of them. One did pass away, but um she raised all seven of them and it was just such a cool experience, you know, and, and we just said, you know what, we want to do this, you know, we want to go the registered route. And, um, we ended up getting, um, four pigs, two breeding pairs mm. after that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, and then we've expanded quite a bit. Okay. That's what I was going <laughs> to ask have, you. So we yeah. have, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. We have, um, 15, registered pigs and we have um 15 piglets we actually just had three mamas um farrow in the last month all right wow so is that uh are those 15 breeders is that uh 13 sows two boars or or what's your balance there we have um we have two up-and-coming boars that are under a year um we have two boars that are over a year and um the rest are gilts and sows yeah okay very good yeah that, that should we have a we have a big range in numbers here we've we've kept a couple back we've kept a couple back from litters and um we added um six more adults to the mix here that just this spring so we've expanded quite a bit very good so so what's the plan with i mean that's that's a pretty good size breeding operation there the potential of of so many pigs you can have on farm at one time so are you looking at selling those for feeders for um uh, for actual raising them out for for meat production what what's the what's the approach there yeah so when we expanded this spring we're looking to um you know the last the last year and a half we've um just kept feeders back for ourselves and now um that we've expanded quite a bit we're looking to um you know, cell feeders as well as grow outs for ourselves. So we were looking to be um, a far to finish. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So um, do you have, so you're building a customer base, I assume, are, are you selling the holes and halves uh, or are you selling cuts? What's the direction you're going with that? Yeah. So we have, um, we haven't, we haven't done that yet, but um, I'm looking to sell feeders, um, and then this year we plan to raise out about four to five oh, okay. and okay. Um, we'd like to sell um, halves and holes. Yeah. And and we could also go the retail route. There's um, a local market that's in Wheeling, West Virginia, and um, we have an option to sell cuts to the retail as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So I- it's going to be a new thing for me. Um, you know, we like, we have we have raised feeders ourselves, but um, 
it's gonna that's a, that's a whole new arena there so all right, so I, so I have to ask you the hard question because uh, anytime anytime we we talk about Cooney Cooney or American Guinea Hog, then there's always uh, there's certain people that that have to have to want to yeah they want to make the comment, so I'm going to make it for them. So <laughs> right. what what have you what have you experienced in the yield uh, of Cooney Cooney when it comes to your own personal consumption, and how's that going to uh, either help or hinder you when you go to the commercial sales side of that, or do you think that's an issue? Um. Well. You know, I think that it's definitely a niche market, you know, not too many people um, are really aware of the Cooney Cooney breed specifically for meat. Um, we're, we're really focused on um, faster growing genetics. You know, we're, we're selecting our pigs that so we can grow them out um, to reach that 200 pounds in 12 months. Okay. Um, so that's, that, that's something that, you know, we're really focused on. Um, you know, it's, it's not really profitable. Or, it, I mean, it can't, maybe it can be, I don't really see how it can be profitable, profitable keeping pigs, you know, for 14 to 18 months, unless, you know, that's just something that um, people are doing to raise meat for their own family. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that what, that's really what we're focused on is getting those pigs to 200 pounds in 12 months. And um, we're doing that by free feeding piglets. Um, a lot of people that raise Cooney Coonies don't free feed. Um, but that's something that we're starting them out in the beginning, um, really keeping track of their weights, getting them on a nice, um, high protein pig mash, you know, right from the start. So yeah, there's a lot of farms out there that are doing it, that are reaching that 200 pounds in 12 months. There's, you know, not a lot of them, but there's a handful of them. And, um, I've had a lot of really great mentors in the Cooney Cooney community, um, so I feel confident that we're going to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like the fact, I mean, obviously you're, you're doing your homework and to me, that's, that's, that says so much that, um, by, by taking the time sitting down and saying, okay, here's goals that we want to hit. You, you, you said some of the key points there, it's a niche market. So, uh, you know, we need to exploit that niche if we're going to make this profitable, but actually looking and say, okay, what do we need to be profitable and, um, putting those, uh, processes in place so investing in the higher protein doing the free feed which um you know there's obviously pros and cons of that because you, know, you see a little bit of feed on the ground you're like oh you know it's just being wasted yeah. type of thing um but, but knowing that yeah there's there's an opportunity there to build and, and then having that having that goal in place so you can sit down and look and say okay we're going to look at this over a course of a year or two how many litters we raise out and, and do a cost analysis of this so yeah i i, I love the fact that you're that you're putting that much investment in the time and the effort to, to follow the data as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and you know, starting out, I've, I've listened to so many of your podcasts cause that I really am really big on research and doing my homework and, and trying to learn everything I possibly can before I jump into something. So yeah, spent a lot of time listening to your podcast, driving back and forth from the kid, getting the kids to school and things like that. So yeah, excellent. it's been helpful. Excellent. So do you find, because uh, I, I know that neck of the woods up there, um, very, very similar to ours as far as the uh, makeup of the forest goes. So are you finding great forage opportunities for your for your uh, the piglets when they get in the woods and, and get all that mast when that's really on? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we actually don't really have them in the woods. We, we do have them on the pasture and, okay. and they have their heads down, um, almost all day long eating pasture. And 
the way the weather has been, it's we're already getting green grass come back. Yeah. And um, it's so nice to see. <laughs> right. And um, we, we feed them hay oh, um, in the winter when there's not pasture and they love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of that breed is they're uh, they do definitely graze more than than the other breeds and and have that opportunity to extract more protein from that from that forage. So it's it's great that they have that opportunity. And you know, hay 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 is what it is. You know, yeah, hay has expense to it. And uh, but I it's my understanding. Obviously, I don't feed a lot of hay to my pigs. But it's my understanding that. Um, the pigs that do eat a lot of hay are not as uppity about hay like a horse or even a, a you know sheep would be that they they can handle some a, a, an eclectic variety of hay quality is that correct yeah that that is true you know um i know of a lot of breeders that do feed alfalfa to their mamas and their and their piglets um but we actually just feed regular old grass hay and they love it yeah. um we're pretty we're pretty fortunate to have some neighbors that um make hay and and they're close by and um they help us out with loading it and unloading it and everything and um we've been really fortunate to be just real close to that so we're able to get our hay for a good price because they sure do go through a lot of it <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that many head i would think that you would now are you dealing in square or are you dealing around we have um, square bales. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask, especially since uh, it sounds like you're the one probably dealing, you know, doling the the hay out on a regular basis. You know, round bale is is convenient, but it's super heavy and requires special right. equipment. So square can be handled a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a bank barn, and um, so we have the hay loft upstairs, and and the um, moms are actually in the barn right now downstairs. So I just you know throw it down the steps. And um, throw it down the hill to the pigs. Yeah, yeah, well, excellent. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So, uh, you're you're shooting for this twelve um, twelve months life cycle there, and of course, being in a climate where there is a dormant season, even with the cooney cooney that are much easier on pasture, you you mentioned your sacrificial area. Can you explain that a little bit? How you have that set up, and and why that was so important for you all. Yeah, so um, we have we our sacrificial area is closest to the barn. So um, in the winter, you know, we're not having to um, track through a bunch of snow or mud to get to them. Um, and those areas have um, water set up where you know we're not hauling having to haul water to them in the winter because you know how difficult it can be having frozen water. So um, we have that area set up for them where we actually have. Um, we're catching rainwater in the winter. Um, so that's all um, connected to the gutter system th from the barn. Um, so they have unlimited amount of water out there and uh, um, we just keep them close. And, you know, that's, that's an area that we're going to move them out of um, once the grass starts to grow back so we can give that area a rest. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And it's, um... My goodness, I think that's so important, especially, like you said, with a life cycle where you, you know you're going to have a large number of pigs through the dormant season. It just really allows your your grazing pastures to uh, to go dormant and to regenerate through the winter months. And then your sacrificial area, depending on, on how you manage that, of course, then you've got uh, 
great fodder, compost material, that type of thing, if you get in and you either scrape that out by hand or using a tractor to, to clean up those areas and then allow those to lay fallow throughout the entire year. So that's, that's really good, uh, good uh, management of the property there. Yeah, thank you. It's rotationally grazing can definitely be labor intensive, but it's something that, um, you know, it's something that's important to us and, and something that um, I think is worth it. So we love raising our pigs on pasture. Yeah. So let's talk about your rotational process a little bit. So, so with your breed stock and with your feeders, how, how do you segment them? Um, Do you keep them all together and just rotate them all as a group? Do you have multiple rotations that you're doing? Yeah. So we keep the, um, we keep our older um, breeding pairs together and then, and then we pair our younger you know, our younger pigs that are under a year together and, um, we rotate them in, you know, separate groups. Um, last, last year we had them, um, in an electric netting that we were moving them all around, um, the pasture, you know, we'd move them about every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we have, you know, larger groups, we, um, we're putting pigs together for, you know, breeding pairs and then we'll, then we'll put them all back together and, um we've been building some um more permanent fencing and they're about acre paddocks so we're gonna um move them through that um we're still in the process of of building more paddocks but um should be done through the summer so um i'm doing some seeding now and i'll probably move the young feeders through that um and the weaning piglets you know so they have that um that fresh grass that's coming up so they can, um, you know, get that good head start. And then I'll, um, once I move the feeders out of there, I'll, I'll, I'll run the, um, you know, the breeders, the more mature pigs to go in and clean it up and just kind of, um, keep it going that way. Yeah. Excellent. No, I love that idea. And, um, and it's very, it sounds very permaculture-esque. I don't know if that was your, your approach, but, but looking at how the land is going to work for the litter. So you're using a lot of this temporary uh, fencing and, and temporary setups to see how it works. And then as you grow and as you scale up, coming back and realizing, hey, if we start breaking this up into permanent uh, segments, then it's going to reduce the amount of labor. Uh, but you've got an idea how the land works to your advantage in that process. So that's that's wise. I, I, I love that you're now segueing into that permanent infrastructure. Oh, yeah, it was it was needed. You know, it's it's a lot of work moving those pigs every two weeks. <laughs> and, you know, we we love that we have permanent fencing now, especially for um, the piglets. You know, they're they're it's, it's a little nerve wracking watching a little piglet get tang- tangled up in that electric fencing. And we, we realized pretty quickly that wasn't something that, um, was really going to work. So, um, we, you know, we really needed to get that permanent fencing up and, um, it's been, it's been really nice. <laughs> yeah. So would you mind describing a little bit of your permanent fencing as far as the, the actual components, uh, you know, using, are you using wooden posts, T posts, you know, electric strands, how high, how many strand, all that type of stuff? Yeah, that would be a great uh, question for my husband. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> but I yeah. could give you an idea. Yeah, we have a combination of wooden posts and T posts. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a, the livestock fencing gotcha. okay. set up. And we got some um, porta hut set up as well. Yeah. 
Okay, so you're so, yeah. yeah, so you're allowing so with even with a rotational process when you know there's a, a fairwing coming, you've got your porta hut set in that specific paddock so they can they can fair there versus trying to bring them back to a specific fairwing spot. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So over over the last month we've had um excuse me, we've had um our moms in the barn. Um they farrowed in the barn um just because the the weather just just wasn't great for having them out on pasture. Um, but it's something that, something that I really would like to do, um, this, this coming, um, summer, I have a couple sows that we are going to, um, have them farrow out on the pasture. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. Very good. Now, do you have, when it comes to your litters, are you, um, are you, are you trying to get X amount of litters per sow per year, or there's just a specific time you want to have, you know, one litter per what, what's your rationale and how often you allow them to breed? Yeah. So, um, kind of just watch their condition and, um, you know, if they're in good condition, then we put them back with the boars. Um, we, we don't want to have litters right in the middle of winter. So just right at, you know, towards the end of February, beginning of March is really an ideal time. Um, especially for feeders, um, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna have the, the most, um, pasture available that to them, you know, to be able to get protein off that pasture that's just coming in in the spring and then all summer and then into the fall. Um, so I'm not sure if that answered your question yeah, yeah, or no, not. No, that's great. Yeah, you, you've got a specific time based upon the actual gestation period and the farrowing time to to have uh, to have them on the ground because that that's that would be key for your feeder market as well. A lot of people are looking for spring pigs and they want to uh, they want to start there. So having uh, having feeders available at that point versus you know say feeders that were uh, that hit the ground in the fall and they're going to be transitioning right. to a farm that's going to be in a dormant session then that would be something somebody had to take into consideration. Yeah. There's so many variables, um, raising young pigs through the winter and it's just a little bit nerve wracking. And, um, yeah, so we want to, we want to have them, you know, during the, the warmer months, you know, the end of February, you can still get some pretty cold days, but you know, luckily this year we've been pretty, we've been pretty good with temperatures. So, yeah. yeah. So just because this is fresh in my mind since I just did it last week, so is there a lot of castration going on on the farm? Are you guys taking care of that yourselves, or how's that working out for you? Yeah, so my husband's done um, the castration in the past, but we've actually found a local vet that does it. Um, it's pretty affordable. So, oh, wow. yeah, we're going to be taking – we had a lot of boars in these litters, so we're going to be taking a, quite a few of them in here in the next week or so. All right. Uh, so I got to give you a little bit of heat about that because that, that seems unfair. I think a uh, pig farmer has to at least have the, <laughs> have the experience on a regular basis of castrating their own pigs. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking yeah. with you. That, that, that's great. And having that resource nearby is, is just incredible because obviously a vet's going to have some of the infrastructure that's needed and be able to to look for uh, specific issues while while the piglets are there. So, you know, that's awesome. I'm kind of jealous of that. Right. <laughs> my wife would yeah, be very jealous. Yeah, she mean, hates castration time. Right. It's not my it's not my husband's favorite time. He's more than willing to do it, but being home he he's home only on the weekends, so we have we have a whole lot going on, so it's just easier for me to take them in during the week. Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
Yeah. So yeah, yep. I'm just I'm just picturing you loading all these piglets into, uh, into the vehicle. And... <laughs> yeah. So is yeah, a, the, is it's a, a noisy ride. <laughs> yeah. Is that a large animal vet? I mean, are the people there with their cats and their dogs, and you're rolling in with a cage full of piglets? How does you know? Yeah, pretty. It is a large animal vet, but you know, you see a lot of cats and dogs in there too. So it's kind of funny. I mean, people are always excited to see little piglets. So yeah, I, I'm popular in those places. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, great, great. Well, well, Caitlin, let me ask you this: what's what's the next five years look like for you? What if you if you looking at your goals? I, I know you're talking about hitting that goal of raising out uh, at at a good market weight in twelve months, but where do you see the farm and the operation in the next five years? Wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I really would like to, um, you know, see see all of our pastures set up so we have a really good rotational grazing system set up. Um, I would really like to um, see our our meat in retail stores and and people enjoying cuny cuny meat. Um, I. I'm big on education, you know, and I really am passionate about this breed. And I think that it does take some education with Cooney Cooney's not being so well known, especially in the meat market. Um, so I, I just really hope to be a leader in them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. And especially when you're, when you're looking at Cooney Cooney and you said the education, um, We've we've been talking about this for a while uh, here recently, but this this idea of lard and you know the the taboo associated with lard for so many decades, but the fact that people are coming back around and, and giving lard another look and say, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe it's not as as uh, big a health issue as as they were claiming back in the eighties and stuff. What's your take on that? Right. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Actually, we love lard, and and I run to our lard, and I've actually started a little market um, for our lard as well. We do sell it. Um, have a lot of soap makers that enjoy it um, for their soaps, and that's something that I would also like to expand into, um, making soaps and products for our, for ourselves, um, but also you know having that in retail stores, Cooney Cooney lard soap. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's my goodness. We could do another episode just on, on talking about this. But so do you find when it comes right. to your processor, does your processor have uh, the experience needed with these uh, lard pigs to know how uh, um, important retaining as much as that lard is? Because I know, you know, some processors are like just, you know, wham, bam, they're they're just peeling everything off there and, and they're going to toss that lard to the side with the rest of the cutaways. Uh, does your processor have a good understanding of that? Have you been happy with what you're seeing so far? Yeah, yeah, I have been. Um, I always, I always make sure to let them know I want all the lard back, and um, they're happy to give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we we do have a lot of it, but we go through a lot of it too. I do um, a lot of baking with the lard and a lot of cooking with it as well. So. It definitely gets used up, and and what we what we can't use ourselves, we do sell, and um, you know, looking into making, getting some soap made, and um, yeah, we love it. Yeah, great. Yeah, and that that to me is 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 key, especially when, you know we talked about exploiting a, a niche with this this very specific market, a very specific breed, and and the pros and cons associated with that. But when you have a lard pig and you have an audience and a market for that lard, 
than what some person would look at and say, well, you know, this is a byproduct that nobody wants. You've got a byproduct that not only do people want, but there's even value-added elements to it. So you can get a higher cost per pound on that because of some of the value-added you're doing. If you're pre-rendering and, and selling that that way, then it, it, it expands the opportunity for profitability in something that somebody else would look at and say, well, this is, this is a byproduct that's wasted. So, yeah, I love the right. fact that you guys are exploring that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kuni Kuni lard is, it's, it's delicious. I mean, it's so creamy. It's, and it makes, you know, just the best baked goods. We, we love it. My kids, they go crazy over the chocolate chip cookies that I use the lard in and um, it doesn't compare to anything else. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 We, we use a lot of lard uh, here on the farm as well. And, and I love it in, in anything we deep frying and, and it really, yeah, there's just there's just something about it that is uh, just seems way more natural. And I love as as the health quote, and I'm using air quotes here, the health professionals as they start looking back at this stuff again and say, huh, well, you know, maybe maybe, maybe this isn't where all this uh, heart disease is coming from. So interesting. Exactly. Well, yeah, let, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. So if if people listening to this. um because uh, again, I, I know you're know, the 900 pound gorilla in the room when we talk about Cooney. Cooney is everybody that that says, "Oh, I can't stand that breed because they're you know they're not viable, they're not this, they're not that." Um, you know, w we entertain all conversations here as long as they're amicable. But what would you tell somebody who's who's thinking about uh, getting into pigs for the first time and and they're entertaining Cooney Cooney, but they're hearing that that negativity uh, from from the community, what, what would you say to, to them to say if, if they wanted to explore that more? Um, well, I think that Cooney Cooney, first I would say Cooney Cooney's are a great breed to get started with, you know, they might not be for everybody and that's okay. Um, but I think that they're great for anybody that has a small holding, you know, just, a, even on just a, a small homestead, you know, they don't need as much, um, they don't need as much land, you know, they make a smaller impact on, on the land and in that way where a lot of, a lot of small homesteads are, are looking for that. Um, I think that getting your, um, feed and, and mineral ratio is, is really important to, um, getting, getting the yield that you want. Um, because Cooney Coonies are consuming, you know, less feed, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the feeds are based on, you know, getting six pounds a day. Mm. My, my adults are only getting three pounds a day. So I think really getting the minerals and the feeding right is something, um, that can help, you know, set you up for success. A lot of, a lot of people just, you know, think that you can throw a cup a day out to the pigs and they can just eat grass all day and, you know, they're disappointed on their carcass yield, mm, yeah. you know, at the end of it. So I think that actually treating Cooney Coonies like pigs, which they are, <laughs> you know, and feeding them like pigs is so important. Right. Yeah, that's great. Good advice. Perfect. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, be uh, cognizant of your time here, but I, I want to ask you one last question, a question I'd like to close out with. What, uh, Caitlin, is your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture, especially the Cooney Cooney? What do you, what do you like the most about them? Well, I, I absolutely love my pigs for so many reasons, but I just, I just love seeing them out there grazing happy all day long. You know, they're, they're such a hardy breed and, and they just, you know, they, I can see that they enjoy being outside. They, they all have their own, um, they all have their own personalities and, 
And I just, I love seeing them out there happy with their heads down, just munching on grass all day. Yeah, yeah. And um, the farming experience has, you know, been difficult for us this last um, farming season, but it's just it's just such a blessing to see new life come come into the world and and i'm honored to be able to be raising this breed yeah excellent wonderful well if people want to find out more about you online uh what's your what's your online presence where can they find you so i'm pretty active on facebook um they can find us at legacy family farm on facebook and um, i'm also on instagram as um our farm tale and it's T-A-L-E with um, an underscore at the end. Hmm. Okay, very good. Well, I'll share that down in the uh, the description here, the the show notes, so you guys can check that out. Well, Caitlin, I Great, really I appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure talking with you, and and uh, I pray that uh, this new season is is successful for you all. Thank you so much. All right, you have a good day. All right. Well, I really appreciate Caitlin coming on the podcast and appreciate her sharing her her story and what she's dealing with there. So as always, if you would like to be on the podcast or you have a topic you'd like us to consider, you can reach out to me using the email troy at redtoolhouse.com or visit either of our websites, redtoolhouse.com. You can use a contact form there or the pastured pig and use the contact form or the uh, podcast form as well. Don't forget that we've got our Patreon all-members chat coming up Thursday, April. I'm living in the past. May 18th at 8 p.m. That's Thursday, May 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern. All right. I appreciate everybody listening, and I pray you have a great week. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com